Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. What can a black hole teach us about the boundaries of knowledge? These holes in space-time are the darkest objects and the brightest, the simplest and the most complex. With unprecedented access, Black Hole, the edge of all we know, follows two powerhouse collaborations. Stephen Hawking's Anchors One, striving to show that black holes do not annihilate the past. The other group, working at the world's highest altitude observatories, create an Earth-sized telescope to capture the first images of a black hole. Interwoven with other dimensions of exploring black holes, these stories bring us to the pinnacle of humanity's quest to understand the universe. This is an incredible documentary film. It's called Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know. And we're joined today by the director of that film, and that would be Peter Gallison. Peter, welcome to Film School Radio. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And I, I mean, as I said to you off mic, this is one of those films and there aren't that many that when you watch, when, as you're watching them, you think, you know, we can do this. We can be human beings. We can survive. We can thrive. We can continue this quest that we started when we, when we crawled out of the primordial ooze on our way to this point. We can do this if we want to. And um it does. It does that. Tell me a little bit about what, how you got involved in doing this particular project. Well, back about five or six years ago, a group of us, uh, six of us, one person from mathematics and physics, astrophysics, an observer, and I got together and we decided to make an institute, an initiative that would bring together people from all these different fields because black holes, among all the objects in the world, are things that pull us all together, that mathematicians can push on the boundaries of what mathematical understanding is by thinking about black holes. Physicists find in them the greatest challenges to our concept of what a physical law is. Philosophers want to know what happens to space and time when you cross the boundary, and is it really possible that time flows backwards as you go inside the black hole. It, they are extraordinary things and they power the largest objects in the universe. These, like the black hole that we made an image of and released to the world uh, in April, April 10th, um, 2019, uh, has these jets that shoot out of it that can help determine where stars can form and create huge voids in space. They're important. They lie at the center of every massive galaxy in the in the visible universe. So for all these reasons, black holes seem like a universal attraction. And I and I thought and my colleagues thought this would be an amazing thing to have so many disciplines, so many people with their personalities in science come together and see what we could reason about. And then in the course of that, I got involved in working on the team that was going to make an image of the of the black hole. And I decided, wouldn't it be great to film along the way and right in the room, right in the telescope, right where it was happening. So you could see science, not as something after the fact told by people racking their brains and scratching their heads, but watch it unfold. And that was my ambition. And we're all the better for it. And just, for, you know, black holes for dummies in terms of just describing it, it's been described as this mass in space that sucks material and whatever light into it and can't escape. Is that 
or doesn't that's escape. right i'd say that the single thing that defines a black hole yeah. is a region of space that has that's surrounded by a horizon a kind of a surface around the black hole when you come to it if you came in your spacesuit to it you wouldn't see anything there it's not hard you can't bounce a tennis ball off it but once you pass it you can't come back and the reason is that if you wanted to shoot a cannonball into space from the surface of the earth, you'd have to launch it at five miles a second or something like that. And if you squished the earth down farther and farther, you'd have to shoot it out faster and faster to be able to escape the earth's gravity. Well, if you push mass down far enough, it can eventually come to pass that you need to go faster than the speed of light to escape. And that's what a black hole is. It's matter, mass and energy compressed to such an extent that you'd have to go faster than the speed of light to escape. And since nothing can do that, not even light, it's black. It's the black object in the universe. And it has been since its discovery. Who discovered? Or is there someone we can attribute the discovery of black holes to or a group it, or it, whatever? How, how did this It happen? really goes back to Albert Einstein in the middle of World War One. He came out with his general theory of relativity, which may be the greatest single act of human reason ever put down on paper. And it's the theory that's, that, that replaced Newton's ideas of gravity. And it said that you don't even have to talk about forces, that all gravity really is, is just curvature in space. And that extraordinary insight came to one of Einstein's friends, a man named Schwarzschild, and Schwarzschild was a German patriot, and he was on the front uh, calculating the trajectories of ballistics that were you know, in the midst of bombs exploding right and left. And he, he wrote to Einstein and he said, you know, thank you for giving me this chance to think about the, the fields of pure thought in the midst of these all too real conflagrations around me. And I've solved your equations exactly. Uh, and he wrote them on the back of a piece of paper and sent them to Einstein. Einstein was incredibly excited and brought them to the Prussian Academy of Science. And in that moment, during the war, those equations indicate this strange surface, this horizon. And it's really to that time, almost exactly 100 years ago, and uh, in a terrible conflict that we, uh, that, to which we owe this idea of a black hole. But it's taken a century, uh, sometimes in physics and astronomy, we, we talk about a hundred year handshake between the moment that Einstein and Schwarzschild came up with these ideas and the time when we were finally able to produce an image and say, there, there is a black hole. Amazing. An absolutely amazing story and just amazing. It points out to me this nexus of science and philosophy, science and pure thinking right? Whatever. You can call it philosophy. You can call it the mind wandering, the mind. How would you characterize how you get from concrete science formulas, mathematics to something like what Einstein and Schwartz Schultz came up with? How do you get, I mean. Well, that's why it took so long because even Einstein had doubts that these things could really exist. And people thought about it. And Einstein thought that the equations must be wrong because it looked like at the horizon, the equations blew up and stopped being meaningful. And then in 1931, 
One of his friends showed that really that was just an illusion created by having the wrong coordinate system. And you could, you could, it actually wasn't a, a problem. And then Einstein still worried about it into the 1930s. And in the late 30s, Oppen, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who's responsible for the building of the Manhattan Project, the atomic bomb, you know, had this put on a computer and actually they, he and his, his students showed that you could actually make a black hole if a star collapsed. And then the war, of course, came, and uh, this was 1939, and almost immediately Oppenheimer and everybody else was caught up in, the, in that conflict. So it wasn't until much later, really until the 1960s, that people started thinking about black holes again. And even later, you know, when I was a student, I had some of the great physics physicists of all time as my teachers and mentors, and they they were dubious that they really existed. And then finally, there were beginning to be evidence in the 70s and 80s that there really were such a thing, but it wasn't yet clear. It's taken a hundred years to go from those equations to some to a point now where people are completely convinced that there are black holes. Wow. Well, thank you again. Thank you for that answer. That's um, it's is this is a film uh, for our listeners. This is a film that'll make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> You're a part of a of a species that is capable of this. You are you share DNA with people who did this, who and who are thinking about these things and how while it may not be something that we think of as a practical thing today, is it fair to say that this is a roadmap to a to a to a, our our future our our human future, does the discovery and the validation of black holes, how does that bode for us as a species? I think it is it's it is a matter of hope. And I think of the film uh, in a couple of different ways, but one of them is as a, a hopeful promise for what it's like to do to show science as a collaboration, that we could actually get together and bring our various skills. This is an experiment, the observation, is not located in any one place. You had to have a telescope the size of the whole earth. And to do that, what you did was to take all these radio telescopes all over the earth from South Pole and Greenland and you know Spain and um, Mexico and uh, Arizona. And, and you had to link them up and get data from them. Incredibly precise data collects the most data per night of any human experiment that's ever been conducted. And then out of those petabytes of data, you extract that image, which is a tiny fraction of that. But it took all of this work over years and years of people who had computer skills and people who did machine vision and people who knew about clever, fast algorithm writing. You did theorists. You took people who are good at fixing things at 15,000 feet where you can't, you can't think straight. You have to write down a list of what you've got to do because the oxygen is thin enough so that you know, you're halfway up the atmosphere, it's a real challenge and to get it all to work. And then we had this amazing thing in, in April of, of 2017, the weather was clear across the whole earth. I mean, these poor photons come 55 million years traveling from the M87, this galaxy that has this big black hole at its center that we were trying to image. And they travel for 55 million years, not that long after the last dinosaur lay down its head dead. And they finally get there, but they could be stopped by a cloud bank over the, one of these mountains. And by incredible stroke of luck, we had five great days all over planet Earth. And we were able to observe, we got great data. We could make that image, but it took, you know, almost two years, you know, year and a half to, 
to um, get to the point where we were confident enough that this wasn't some artifact, we weren't fooling ourselves, and that we could release it to the world. We're talking with the director of the film, Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know, and that would be Peter Gallison. And I would also like to point out the film uh, Secrecy, documentary film that came out in 2008, which is, again, one of my favorite documentary films um, ever. And also you've worked on some other projects. You continue to work in the area of science and your ability as a filmmaker to to be able to distill this information down into something that's digestible and, and entertaining and informative is a real gift. You can find out more about the film at blackholefilm.com. Please check this out. And we see in the film one of the preeminent physicist thinkers, big brains of all time, and that would be Stephen Hawking. He's in the film. Uh, he's part of this group that is doing what I would refer to as theoretical, the theoretic, the formula part of the equation of black holes um, is, tell us a little bit about that group of, of incredibly brilliant people that worked on this. You know, everybody knows Stephen Hawking. He may be the most well-known scientist since Einstein. Um, movies have been made about him, documentaries and all sorts of things, but he, he appears in these films as a kind of iconic figure, somebody who's almost oracular and makes pronouncements about this and that, and in interesting ways. But I was really struck by the fact that people never see him working. I mean, he's famous for a reason. He made incredibly important discoveries about the nature of black holes and therefore of space and time. You know, getting to know him over the years, I mean, I met him briefly as I spent a year in Cambridge when I was a student in the other Cambridge in Cambridge, England. In the course of this work, this four or five years that I was filming, I, I was really struck by not only his insights into the physics problems and his open, frank questions. You know, he never was embarrassed to ask a direct question, you know, what's that? What does that mean? But also to be directive and, you know, get excited about things and to say, this is the way to go. Let's do this. He could be funny and always engaged with the world. Uh, once I asked him, because his responses and questions are always slow because he has to manipulate the computer and AI program with very small facial movements. And I was telling him I was interested in the history of black holes and how where they came from. And he said, Oppenheimer really discovered black holes. Too bad about the bomb. And, you know, he 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 just... He was just engaged in the world. He loved to, you know, he came to Boston once to visit us as we were opening this black hole initiative. You know, he, we had dinner parties and he wanted to go on the, on a boat on, you know, in the harbor. And he, 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 he never, ever lost his enthusiasm for people and places and the excitement of living. And I, I, I so admired that about him and it, my admiration only grows. And of course, in the, in the course of making the film, he he died in that period, and it was a huge blow to me for the several years that I knew him, and to my colleagues and friends, uh, Andy Strominger and and Malcolm Perry, and the young, terrifically gifted student Sasha Hiko. Uh, it was devastating. I wanted to capture that in the film, to what it meant to have Hawking present as a as a person and a thinker and a collaborator and. Um, and what it what his loss meant not just in the huge parades and celebrations all over the world, but personally and close up to the people who are working with him. 
And it's fascinating. It really is fascinating to watch them working and and questioning each of these different ideas that come up as in with Hawking as well as as by the three of them together and how there's there's no wrong answers i guess or is that a good way to put it or there's there's no wrong path to take and and this is all part of this journey of figuring this out and it's just it is it's truly fascinating and then we get the other side of the equation in this the people who are actually coordinating these different telescopes to be able to produce this image that validates certain aspects of the black hole i feel like we've established pretty beyond any doubt the black hole's existence but it's a, a matter of there's other there's aspects to it. what are its characteristics right and and that's what this other part of the project is about one of the features of black holes that goes beyond any questions of just philosophy or physics or mathematics or even astrophysics is that it it's a highly it carries a high amount of meaning to us. We use the phrase black hole all the time in everyday life. If I get into a cab or an Uber and I say, uh, so the guy says, what do I work? What do I do? And I say, I'm a physicist. That's the end of the conversation. They say, I, I, I didn't like physics. You know, if I say I work on black holes, we're off to the races <laughs> because everybody, you know, children and, uh, and grown-ups alike, it's it this idea that there's a region of space, and if you cross over it, you can never come back. It it reminds us of other things, of death, maybe of uh, the passage from life to death, of of the hidden. Of there's something mysterious about these things, and I wanted to capture in the film that sense, and not only that, to show that for the people, even the hard-boiled scientists working on this that it was so. And when we first got that image, I think all of us felt, you know, like we wanted to cry. I mean, it was so moving to, to actually see this thing come up on the screen. And you see that in the film. Yeah. And um, for the, you know, with the very first moment, anyone ever saw a black hole. I think that that, that moment, one of my colleagues says in the film, uh, Sarah Markoff says, uh, she just stared at it on her, on her, on her cell phone for hours. <laughs> Uh, another one says, you know, I, I, it was almost a feeling of terror. And I remember looking at that image and, and you know, realizing that that blackness, that black hole in the middle of the orange crescent ring was the size of our solar system. And it was a hole in space and time. Yeah. And what an amazing, literally awesome, filled with awe moment that is to, yeah. to think about it. You know, and I'm not a... I don't know. I have to preface this by saying what I'm going to say, but I'm not a particularly religious person. But in lurking, I think in people's perception of black holes, I think lurking in the minds of people who aren't physicists and maybe and in physicists, I assume, is the God question. In, increasing, I, I'm sort of I'm not a geek on this stuff, but I, I'm really interested in science-related stories, especially about the universe. And recently, there have been discoveries about how dark matter might be a function of many small black holes. We might be living in parallel universes. All these questions start to come up because once you've breached this particular subject of black holes, anything is possible, right? I mean, in, in a sense. And it feels like while this has been a, a journey, um, I feel like, and you say so in the film, really, this is just the beginning. It is. And I think you're right. I mean, that's why I chose as the title, the the edge of all we know, because that horizon, the thing that makes a black hole a black hole in, in, in a certain sense, is a kind of 
edge, a horizon of the knowable. I mean, if once something goes in, you no longer have access to it, but you could go in. It's a very <laughs> strange thing. And I think that that presents us this idea of an edge of the knowable is philosophical. I think for some people, including one senior colleague of mine, I think thinks of it in, in quite religious terms uh, that uh, you know there's a limit to what is humanly accessible, but there's still reality there. And so I think that for people in different ways, different cultures, different backgrounds, they see different things in this, in, in this image and in the idea of a black hole. It is a beginning. I mean, that ring that we're seeing there, now we know that it's actually composed of an infinite series of more finely drawn rings, so to speak. Each of those rings captures photons from all over the visible universe in a way that if you, if you had the eyes of a computational lynx, you could look at the series of of, of rings and decode them and see a movie of the history of the universe. I mean, it's amazing, right? And one discovery leads to another. Now we're starting to think about, well, if they're made up those rings, maybe we could actually increase the acuity of the system and actually see those rings. That would be a great step forward. Maybe we could use those rings to tell how fast the black hole is spinning. Maybe we could set up telescopes in outer space. Maybe we could send a, a radio telescope in orbit around the moon or out to the point um, a million miles from here, you know, so-called L2, you know, and sit a radio telescope out there with bigger baselines, you can resolve finer aspects of this. And theoretically, maybe we can make even further discoveries about black holes. We are just at the beginning, and it's taken us 100 years to get to this starting line. I'll remember J-12 for, the, for a long time. And at the beginning, the film you're talking about it is kind of the soft air of the black hole and how, wow. It, I tell you, I, this is a, such a fun watch. The film again- You know, called, with that, I, I was hoping- you know, in this complicated, I needed some thread that people could follow. And I thought I thought of the Maltese Falcon, you know, this object that you follow that gives you the path through uh, the film. And I thought, well, what would be the Maltese Falcon of this incredibly complicated, perhaps the most complicated calculation in, in contemporary physics? And if they knew that if they were on the right track, if they could... Uh, the Hawking collaboration could get a certain quantity called the central charge equal to 12J. And so finding and losing and finding again and losing and finding <laughs> J 12J became my Maltese Falcon in this film. And I wanted to use that as something that people could hold on to yeah. through yeah. the thickets of reason. And that's exactly what happens. The losing, finding, losing, finding, losing, 12J. If, uh, if our listeners and people who watch this film, I'm sure will remember that uh, long after this, they've seen the film. The film, again, is called Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know. Once again, fantastic effort on your part, Peter Gallison, for this work. And I hearken back to secrecy. I urge people to check that out as well, because I think it's such a fundamental. These are fundamental things about, about our, the world we live in that you are exploring. And I, I truly look forward to your work moving forward. I hope you'll come back and join us. Well, thank you so much. I like filming invisible things. So <laughs> the next episode uh, in that soon to come. Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know director Peter Gallison. You can go to, by the way, blackholefilm.com to find out more about it, when you, where you can watch it, how you can watch it, all that stuff. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 